And what I mean by that is that we heard a lot about the blessing last week and the weeks before, the blessing that Abraham and Sarah were going to live into. Uh, remember from Genesis, it started back in chapter 12, I believe, 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where it said this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country to your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, in Sarah, in, in the blessing that he was going to work through them, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And all the nations, uh, you might think of that. You might think of that as families like ours. That we are still living into that blessing. We're experiencing that blessing that, that worked out. So now on our way through the book of Genesis, we're, we're going to be working through the, the generations to follow. Isaac, uh, Jacob, Esau, all of those, all that bunch. Chapter twenty-four is where the where it all begins, and it's a story that, frankly, is well, not, well, maybe not, but I think it might be is familiar to to us, somewhat anyway. Um, it's it's a it's a good story. So as soon as my computer catches up with me and <clears throat> knows that I've turned it around sideways, uh, that would be helpful. Anyway, how y'all doing today? <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> so I picked this title, uh, A Love Story for Everyone. Um, when we pick a movie in my house, I I usually do not pick the love stories, right? Uh, it's usually got to be explosions, uh, people in and out of prison, <laughs> a war, you know, things like that, that uh, for me to pick the movie. And the other night, though, it was Michelle's turn to pick the movie. And she, I can't remember what it was now, but I was scrolling through Netflix and it said, this was a feel-good movie. And she said, oh, I want to feel good. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll feel good tonight. Um, maybe it's because I'm getting old, I don't know, but I actually enjoyed it. It was actually a good story. And at the end of it, I actually did feel pretty good. I wasn't stressed. I wasn't mad at the world. I wasn't, uh, didn't want to go overthrow the government or anything like that. You know, I actually, I actually did. It, it worked. I felt good. I don't know. Today is a love story, um, so I don't know if you like love stories, young lady, but it's a story about uh, somebody getting married. Uh, I know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. It's a great story, actually. If you've never read it before, you should really read it because it is, uh, it's a fantastic tale of, of, how, of how the Israelites began, right? That's what the book of Genesis is all about. It's telling the Israelites so they would know their history. Right? That's the whole point of the book of Genesis, particularly this portion of the story. As we look at Isaac and Rebekah, I believe that we're actually going to find out that this story wasn't just for the Israelites, it's for us too today. I've heard it said, and you may have too, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Which means, what all that's to say is that the stories of the Old Testament point us to Christ... Right? And the account of the church and the disciples in the New Testament always point back to their history in the Old Testament. They're connected. They're not just two separate halves, two separate stories. They're actually, it's one story of, of God at work in the world. One story of God's redemption. And they are absolutely connected. For instance, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the pinnacle of the story of, 
of the promise, right? It was uh, when, when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, he's going to sacrifice him. And I don't know about you, but in our small group, we got to talking about all the ways that that, that was a parallel for what, what Christ did on the cross. All the crucifixion scene, right? That was all a, kind of a, a real strong parallel of, of what happened to Isaac carrying the wood up the mountain, right? Jesus carrying the cross. The father uh, being the one charged with the death, right? And the God responsible for the death of Jesus. And, and I just, it was a whole bunch of ways we came up with, a long list of ways that, that those two accounts were parable, that this idea that these stories are connected, that the Old Testament is, a, is almost a preview of what's going to happen. The same is true in the story that we have today. I don't know if you've, if you've read it before, if you've ever thought about it, but, but the story today is, is another one of those gospel archetypes. It's a, it's a type of gospel story. It's a type of story of, of Christ. Only this time it's Pentecost instead of the crucifixion. Today it's Pentecost because in the story today, well, we know the original Pentecost. God sends the Holy Spirit, right? If you're reading along in that New Testament reading plan that we're, we're working on, we're working through Acts, you remember that, that God sent the Holy Spirit to fill the disciples in the upper room and, and they were all filled with the power of the Spirit and they went out and, and shared Christ with the world, right? They made disciples of all nations, right? As they were called to do. We see this same parallel Today in the story, we see the father sending out his most trusted servant to go and find a wife for his beloved only son, right? Very much, that's exactly the same as what happened at Pentecost. God charged his, his servant, the Holy Spirit, to come and embody his church to go and build the bride of Christ, the church. Exact same thing, not exact same thing, but a parallel of what's happening here. So as we worked our way through the story, I hope you find it. We're not going to read it, as I said, but, but I want you to read it. And, and you pick up on the breadcrumbs that you see along the way. I'm going to point out some that jumped out to me. The stories of the Old Testament, remember, don't just tell us what happened. I mean, they do that, but they don't just tell us what happened. They, they also tell us about Jesus. And they tell us about our relationship with him. The part we play in God's uh, master narrative, you might say, in, his, in God's big story that he's telling in, the, in creation. But today, I want you to think about where we fit in the story. That's the way I read this. What is God using to teach us today? Who's, who's God using in the story to teach us today? Abraham is certainly important. It's, it's his charge that sends the servant out. He's not the point, though. Isaac is is important. He's a central character because they're going to get him a bride, right? This is his future they're talking about. But he's not the main character in the story. Rebecca, she's the bride to be. But she's not the one that I don't think God is using to teach us about ourselves. The one I see is as the one who's teaching us about how we are to how we might live as well is the servant. The servant. He's the main character and and we don't even know who he is he doesn't have a name chapter 2 i mean verse 2 of chapter 24 tells us that that he was abraham's most senior servant if you remember back in chapter 15 abraham's most senior servant was introduced to us as eliezer he was the one who was going to get abraham's inheritance if he didn't have a son right eliezer was the one who was going to get everything 
And now that a son has come along, he's the one charged with going out to get him a bride. How do you think you'd feel about that? The one who took your place, you're now responsible to, to help him out. I, if, if you were that servant, I mean, really, how would you feel about that? I, I, I think I'd be a little jealous. I think I'd be a little, well, I, I'm going to move slow here. We'll so we'll make him. I'll go. I'll go pick one out. That's yeah. I'll pick his bride out, right? I mean, that's the kind of the way I might be tempted to be about it, right? Yeah. You want me to pick his bride? I got. I got one for him. Call. Call my cousin, <laughs> Larry. <laughs> Put a veil on Larry and see what he thinks. Yeah, right. That's what. Or Buzz. What was his name? Yeah, it was Buzz. Buzz and us. So uh, the, the whole thing was that, 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 that this servant, though, he didn't have it approach it that way. How did he approach it? That's what chapter twenty four is all about. How this one approached this charge to go and get a bride for the son. First thing you see in the first ten verses there, what I see is the calling, the calling that. That he's had. I want to read it for you. We read it last week, but I want to read it again because it's it's powerful. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country of my relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Abraham responds, Make sure you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for a ram. Aram Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. <clears throat> An awesome calling that the servant was given to go and, and find a wife for my son. And that's the thing that reminded me of how we fit into this story, the awesome calling part of it. We are the servant of God. And I think that we can see some lessons here to... That, that correlate to our calling by God the Father. Yeah, I know that the servant can show us how that we can lead people to Christ. Hey, say, what? I don't see evangelism in the story. <clears throat> it's there. I trust, trust. I believe it's there, and that's what I want us to share with you today. Why is that important? Well, churches back not that long ago used to be full. Churches all over the world were full. That day's over. I don't know if post-COVID, if that day's ever coming back. But I, I, regardless, there are more people in the world than there were back then. And so they should be even more full, right? If we just stayed at the same, but, but we haven't. It's important because that's our calling as disciples of Jesus. 
to make disciples. That means taking people who weren't followers of Jesus, telling them about Jesus, and then leading them, equipping them to become followers of Jesus so that they might make disciples themselves. That's the way the process was supposed to work, right? But we don't do it well. You and I, we don't do this well. Why not? Well, Artie and I were talking a couple weeks ago, I guess, and Artie said, he said, we don't do this well. And I said, why not, Artie? And he said, well, we don't know how. And I was like, yeah, well, that's my responsibility. That's, that's all the preachers of our world's responsibility. The leaders in your church, that's their responsibility, to equip the saints for the ministry of the church. And part of that ministry of the church is to make disciples. That's our whole point. That's why we exist, to make disciples, not to, not to have church, but to make disciples. Not to, not to have a building, not to, not to do fantastic ministries, but to make disciples. Pull it all down, that's at the bottom. And so that's why I believe this chapter is full of lessons for us as the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that looking at this servant in this passage... You can learn from this. So let's get into that story. The, the willing devotion of this servant is amazing to me. Abraham asked him to put his hand under his thigh and swear an oath. Now, it may sound strange to us, and, and I'll try to make it PG, but it's even more strange if you do a little digging into the text about what that means. The thigh was simply an, a euphemism for, for the male reproductive organs, Right? Put your hand under my thigh as a way of saying, I swear, not on my life, but on the lives of the generations to come. He was actually saying, I, I want you to swear on God's promise. That's what he's actually doing here. Now, he could have done it. He could have just said, just, he could have just said that, right? <laughs> Instead, he made him do something that, well, frankly, he will never forget. And now neither will you. <laughs> I mean, you just don't forget that, right? Like, ah, praise God, we don't do that anymore. We just shake hands. And it's, he said, go to my homeland and get my son a wife. I checked on the map. It's about 500 miles from uh, Hebron, where he was, to Haran, where he's from. 500 miles. Quite a trek from lower Israel, right, to northern Syria. 500 miles. Now, he loaded his camels and took with him, right, 10 of them. Uh, quite a trek, even on a camel, because a camel would travel about 20, 25 miles a day. So at the best, that's still three or four weeks of travel. A three or four week journey that he was sending this guy on to go and get someone he's never met and bring them back on a three or four week journey to meet someone and marry someone they've never met. Loads the camels with all the supplies and the, the dowry that he's going to present to her family, right? He's prepared. He's answering this call. I mean, can you imagine what he's doing over this three or four week journey? <laughs> like, like he's probably thinking, okay, so where am I going? Like, so what, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, uh, okay, who, I don't even know what to look for. Like, where, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing here, right? 
oh yeah, God's angel. God's angel is with me, right? That the Abraham promised that God was going to show you the way, that God's angel would, would lead your path. So I just want to stop for just a minute and, and, and say that, that God led him while he was on the way. God led him while he was traveling. He didn't, he didn't just say, oh, wow, that's quite a calling. I think I'm, I'm just going to go over here and pray for a while, and we'll see if God can provide this. No. He went. And as he was on the way, God led him to where he needed to go. What am I making a point here? Some of us today think that I'm just going to wait for God to show me. When God is saying, I'll show you it once you get on the way. Once you're committed to the trip. Once you're committed to it, then I'm going to guide you. Then I'm going to lead you. But, you know, when I was a kid, uh, my grandfather had this old GMC pickup truck that I learned to drive in. And when I was really young, we would sit in the driveway, me and my cousins, and we would pretend to drive that thing for hours on end. Bouncing in the seats and everything else, you know. Couldn't steer the steering wheel for nothing. I mean, you would have to, it didn't have power steering. So you would, like, pull on the thing and to get it to turn once you started driving, a child could steer it. All that to say is that, that steering anything while it's sitting still is difficult. <laughs> You're not steering it anywhere, right? Once it starts moving, then God's Spirit becomes at work in your life, and, and he, might, he leads and guides and directs you. The Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. He will lead your steps once you're on the way, once you're committed to the call. If we just hear the call and, yeah, 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 I should do that. Well, he's not, God, he's not leading you to should do that. Of course, we should do that because we're told to explicitly to do this, right? You don't need much confirmation for that. Second thing we see in the text it's expectation, a sense of expectation on the part of this uh, servant. Starts in verse 11. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening in the town, the time the women who go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my, Abraham, my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show me kindness to my master. See, I am standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen. For your son Isaac, by this I will know, that you have shown kindness to your master. Three or four weeks in this journey, God has led him right where all the young girls go out to get water. In the evening, when they come out, when, at the right place, the right time, that's where God has led him to. Isn't that how God works? When God calls us somewhere, he leads us. We expect him to be leading, but we have to start moving, right? We're committed, expecting God to put us near to people who need to hear. I mean, there's a saying that you find what you're looking for. You ever, you ever heard that before? That's exactly, it's very true. That you find what you're looking for. Expecting God to work, you can usually see him at work. Look what the servant did. Expecting 
God to guide him. God led him to the right place, right where the women would be. And when he got there, the first thing he did was not jump out and say, hey. No. The first thing he did when he got there was assume a posture of prayer. He didn't say, oh, ha, this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. I can pick any one of these. No. No. He prayed. He prayed. He remained expecting, expecting God to, to answer his prayer. Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Even, even when it looked so simple, like, oh, God did lead me right to where I needed to be. I could, I could, a blind man could pick one of these girls. No. He's using wisdom in his faith, and so do we. We use wisdom in our faith. But being faithful to his calling, he expected God to lead him, and God did. And now he asked God to give him confirmation about, what, about who to select, to make clear the next step. That's what he prayed for. And now God provides this confirmation that he's looking for in verses 15 to 21. He says, before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. Before he finished praying, she came out. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said. And quickly she lowered the jar to her, ha to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll water your camels too until, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. That last verse there sounds a little weird. Like, why is he just watching her do all this? He should be helping her, right? Well, that... That's certainly the way, one way to read it. But, he, but what happened was exactly as he had prayed for it, it happened. Exactly how he prayed. Now, now, this brings up a question for me. Did God make her do what he had prayed? Did God make Rebecca do, answer the prayer? I don't know. So oftentimes, that's how I, honestly, that's how I'd read it before. Was it God... God had somebody, made somebody to fit the prayer that he prayed. But now I think a little different because, because what she was displaying was this attitude, a servant's heart, right? So I think more appropriately what God did was have him pray. God, God pre, preordained his prayer. God directed his prayer to pray for something that would be astronomical, that people wouldn't do. But he knew that Rebecca was about to do it, so he had him pray for it. Pray for the very thing that God was about to make happen. That she was going to... Why is this such a big deal? Camels, 10 of them, each one can drink approximately 20 gallons of water. Yeah, that's a lot of water. And you think that the pitcher may can't handle what? Three, four gallons of water? That's a whole bunch of trips back and forth to the well. A whole bunch of trips. And he's watching the entire time. He's watching her. 
Like, yeah, she's actually doing this. She's actually doing exactly what I prayed for. Like, I can't believe that someone would, would hustle like that, would be that, would have that kind of servant's heart. God confirmed it. His prayer gave him the words to pray. He prayed it, and lo and behold, she actually did that. Amazing. Amazing. Let me assure you of this, that very few people that you're around are actually looking for messages from God. Very few of the people that you encounter on a daily basis are actually expecting God to speak to them. And yet, God has prepared something for every one of them to hear. So instead of just blasting everybody we meet with how they ought to turn or burn, right? turn to Jesus before they spend eternity in hell, because, well, okay, that's true. But instead of just telling everyone that way, which is true, don't, don't misunderstand me, we'd be a better witness, I believe, if we sought confirmation from God about who is ready to hear. Who is ready to hear what I have to share? So that's, what the serv- that's what God is at work here. He's, he's, he's revealing to the servant exactly who God has planned out. And we can pray that same prayer. God, who wants to hear a word of hope from you today? Show me, God. Make it clear to me, God. You can ask some ridiculous thing. Let them, let them be the one that brings something to my house. You can do something like that. You can, however you want to do that. That's between you and the Lord. I believe the Lord can, can guide your prayers just like he did here for this servant. My point is, is to make sure that you're willing to answer the call. Make sure you're committed, right? As we ask God to lead us and confirm what he's doing in our lives so that we would be prepared to speak. If you aren't willing to do the work, you'll never see the opportunities. You'll never see the opportunities. I know because I've been there. (laughs) I know because I've I've been there very much. I pray, Lord, show me people who need to hear a good word today. All the while knowing that, that I'd be too worried about what they thought of me to ever share. And I knew that going in. And you know what? I never saw a single person then in those days who wanted to hear any word of hope, any encouragement in their faith. Will you share Jesus? If you will, then he will confirm who needs to hear it. I believe that. And then you begin to establish the groundwork, just as the the servant did here in the story, with patience. In verses 22 to 23, the camels have finished drinking the water. He offered to give her a nose ring. Some of you ladies may be like, Ugh. Back in their day, that was, that's something she would value. That's something that she would appreciate. Then he gave her two gold bracelets, I'm assuming one for each arm. They weighed about four ounces of gold. That's, that's probably about $10,000 he gave her. Not bad for getting some water, even if it did take a couple hours, right? He blessed her. He blessed her. It was impressive. I think the problem is that oftentimes when we go to share our faith, that, that too often we get, we get caught up in forgetting to show that we care. At least in ways that people understand it, that we care. Right? We get, Christians get a bad rap for, for beating people over the head with their Bibles. Right? Instead of showing people that we care and appreciate them. The servant could have said, you know, I prayed for you. God wants you to come to Hebron and marry my master. 
get on. He could have said that. I mean, that was his mission, right? That was the calling. He could have put it that simple. That's like us saying, you know, drinking's a sin, you should, and I know you have a problem with alcohol. You should stop. You should turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. And they're like, what? <laughs> you're like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Or, you know, you look stressed out. What you, you just need to trust Jesus to carry your burdens for you. And that's true. Those are true statements, but... But wow, does it misconnect with people who aren't even looking? Rebecca was not looking for a groom. No. Abraham's servant is patient. He looks to build a relationship with her, to build some, some goodwill. He asks about going to her father's home and, and taking care of his animals. He and to, in order to provide time and space for to get to know her and for her to hear the story and for his family to, to understand what was happening. God is leading all of them now. God is at work. Then they see Rebecca. She runs to her mom. Her brother sees the jewelry and he says, i got to go meet this guy. Right? So her brother Laban, he comes down and he takes the servant back and they, they feed the animals. They, they, they say, come on in and get something to eat. And he says, well, before I eat, i got to tell you something i got to tell you something. And that's where he begins to, this presentation of, of the good news. Oh, I had the whole text in there, and then I didn't let you read it. Oh, well, we're going to move on through it now. Then he shares his story with them. <clears throat> this is probably the longest passage of text in here. Uh, but he presents... The whole story, the history of Abraham and Sarah and, and why he left the fam why Abraham left the family and, and why the servant came back and, and all those things. All along the way he's pointers reminding him that God has been leading, that God has been at work, that God has blessed him, that God has made a promise, right? That God is in charge. And God has led this servant all the way to Rebecca's door to be the source of a blessing for the whole world. Now, it's quite an amazing story he had to tell in those 25 verses or so. But he waits. But he waits until the very end to show them the gifts that his master gave them to bring. Beautiful picture of us sharing our faith that, that we tell the story of, of my life. Right? If you, t if you ever share it this way, that you're telling my life before I met Christ, Right? What my life was like, how maybe my life and, their, and the person I'm speaking to, how the, our lives are kind of similar. And then how I met Jesus. And now then I begin to share the gifts that he brought into my life. And the gifts that he wants to bring into anyone's life. Of change, of, of restoration, of hope, of purpose. When we share our faith, we don't need to get caught up on the issues their issues so much, right? We can't really help people. I can't help really help people with their issues. I don't know if you'd realize that, but you can't really help people with their problems. Ultimately, it's God that does that. People know their lives. People know their issues. What people need to hear is, is how God created them, how he loves them, how he was looking to bring meaning and purpose and significance to their lives.
to set them free from the very things that bind them, God has an eternal purpose for them. They need to hear what faith makes possible in their lives. They hear that when we share our stories. Your story. Your life before Christ. Your life, how you came to Christ. And your life, how your life has changed with Him alive in you. People need to hear that. Coming to faith in Christ isn't about stopping all our sins, you see. It's not about that. It's about entering into a relationship with the God who created you and loves you. Now, And understanding that, that when he comes in, he's going to start rearranging furniture. And he is. He does rearrange some furniture. But he saves that for the very end. And they leave the story agreeing with everything. And then the servant and his God, his fellow travelers, they say, well, let's eat then. Right? They don't, they don't ask for, they don't say, okay, you're, you're all in, let's go. He says, well, let's eat. Let's, let's continue our building our relationship. He doesn't press. He just shares the story. Now, they're all ready. I mean, it says in the account that they're there, like, okay, take our daughter and go. He's like, nah, we're going to eat. And then the next morning, he gives them an invitation. He gets up the next morning now. The family's not so sure about sending their daughter off, their, their baby daughter, off 500 miles with somebody they never met. I can understand that <laughs> very, very well. I'm not so sure about letting mine go that far either. So they suggest, hey, let's take some more time. Let's, let's sleep on it a little bit. In verse 54 is where we are. <clears throat> he and the men who were with him ate, drank, and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, and then you may go. But he said to them, Don't detain me now that, my Lord, now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. I will go, she said. And off they go. Three or four weeks of a journey. To get back to the Negev where Isaac, where Isaac is out in the field. See, but they didn't know they were going to run into Isaac along the way. They didn't know where they were going and what was going to happen. It was a three or four week journey that she knew she was getting into, but she didn't know anything else. As we share our faith, we're inviting people into something that they, they have ideas about what it's going to be like, but they really don't know. And I'll tell you this you don't either you don't know what god's going to do in their life we need to be a little less presumptuous about what what is going to happen yeah we do know some things that the holy spirit comes in and begins to work we know some things but we don't know everything we don't know that that all their problems are going to go away we don't know that all their struggles are going to disappear we don't know that that temptation is going to be any easier it might actually get harder. But what we do know is, 
It's that there's someone waiting for us on the other side of the decision. Just like they knew here. I don't know what the journey's going to be like. I don't know what, what's going to happen. But I know that there's, my master is waiting for you. That's the invitation. Will you come with me? She does. So Isaac's out in the field, praying, meditating, the scriptures call it. He sees camels coming back. And, and about that time, she sees him in the field. She, jump, she jumps off her camel. Some uh, translations say she fell off her camel. I'm not sure which. It would be kind of embarrassing if she actually did fall off her camel. Uh, maybe she just dismounted really quickly. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, she dismounted quickly and said, Who is that? And they said, That is my master. Rebecca puts her veil on her face. She covers her face. Out of humility, right? She didn't want to presume anything. Isaac comes to her, and he takes her to be his wife. It's the end of the story. I lived happily ever after. It's just not the way you would ever think that a great marriage would start. But it certainly did. And at this point, we're left to ask, well, what happened to our hero of the story? Where's the servant? What happened to him? He's not important anymore. He's not important anymore because he was called for a purpose. He was called for a purpose, and he did that. And now it's all about the relationship of Isaac and Rebecca. They become husband and wife. The same when we lead someone to Christ. It's no longer about us, I mean, a lot of times we want to hear all the details about what's going on in their life, and you know, we want to, we should want to encourage them in their faith, but, but ultimately it's about them and God and what He's doing in their life, not, not what I can do, not how I can. It's not, it's no longer about the servant, it's all about the relationship. We're there to help and support. But the most important thing is for them to grow in their relationship with the Father. Evangelism is a scary thing. Absolutely. Until you stop and think and remember that God's at work in it. God's at work. He's making disciples. He, he's, that's his, the direction of God's energy, his power, is his towards making disciples. Disciples, and he invites us to be a part of that. It's his work. And he wants us to experience it as well. We're, we're simply joining what he is already at work doing. I know Terry and, and several others are, have been in the Bible study of experiencing God for quite a while now, haven't you, Terry? <laughs> but it's a fantastic book. And, and I, over and over again in that book, that's what the, the writer talks about, is joining God where he's already at work. And that is in sharing our faith. He is already at work in people's lives. When we, when, we're, when we look and see, we ask for confirmation, we expect God to be at work. He shows us people in our lives who he's at work in. They'll just come up with random questions that are completely connected to what you're experiencing in your faith. It gives you an opportunity to share. It's joining what God is at work. As we share in Holy Communion today, 
we're going to acknowledge that, that this is part of our calling. And that maybe we've been slack on our responsibility to do this. Our, our responsibility to invite people into a relationship with him. We've said, well, you know, I don't, I don't meet many other people, especially during COVID. I don't ever get out. Well, get out. <laughs> get out. Like, you can still do, you don't, you don't have to go hugging, kissing on people to share for your faith. Like, you can do it socially. Do This is a perfect social distance exercise. You can do it without doing all that, right? You can still meet people. You can still talk to people. Asking him to fill us with his grace today as we receive Holy Communion, to empower us to live confident, bold, outwardly focused lives. My prayer is that we would become that. That we are becoming that, actually. My prayer is for you, each of us, whether we're here, present, or we're listening to it, or watching on the computer, my prayer is, is for all of us that we would be faithful to the call that God has put out. That we would expect him to lead us once we start moving. Once we start moving, that he would actually lead us. This week, um, praying through about this for the last couple of weeks, uh, since Artie said something to me, I, uh, I went to the grocery store this week. and I mean, I wasn't planning to go to the grocery store. And, and uh, I was down at the office, and I felt the Lord say, hey, go get a donut. I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. That is... <laughs> That is a prayer I love. <laughs> so I'll go get a donut. And, uh, and I, I felt on my walk over there, like somebody there needs to be encouraged in their faith. And I got in there and the store was empty. I mean, there was, there was I saw one person in the store. And that was when I checked out. And so just, just to stand there for a minute and encourage somebody in their faith, not to, not to lead them to Christ, but to encourage them that, that God is at work in all this. You know, So it, it may not be... You're leading someone to Jesus every time. It may be just you encouraging somebody who's, who may believe, who may have faith, and just needs a word of hope. Amen. It may be just as simple as that. But let's begin to live expectantly, church. If you're here today and, and, and you think all this is craziness, then, well, I don't know. I thought it was crazy for a long time. So I, I just want to say that Open your life up to God and, and ask him to prove that this is for real. Be willing to, and, and, and if he says, yep, this is for real, then, then surrender, give it all to him. Don't hold back. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for what you're doing and what you have done in the lives of your servants, Father. I ask God that, that for those who are here today or who are listening today, God, who, who aren't so sure, who aren't so sure that, that you work this way. Lord, help them surrender their unbelief to you. That you would affirm them. And as we surrender our lives to you, God, you move in. And you start to move and work in our lives. So Lord, lead us today. That we might become disciples who make disciples. That we might become servants who are fully committed who are expecting you to work, who are, who are looking for your confirmation, who are willing to, to share your story and our story. God, who are willing and ready to invite people into a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you.